This is Corolla Digital. Hi, folks. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And here's the good news. This is real, and Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris and I just recorded this to let you know I'm really good. I'm fine. I'm okay. But I may not be back for a while. So Colonel Jeff and Dr. Chris have been bringing me all the cards and letters you've written, and I want you to know they mean a lot to me. They mean so much to me. You mean a lot to me. You mean a lot to them. And I hope we mean the same thing to you. It's very gratifying to know that we've started to really build something here. We can't wait to do it again. You're the best listeners a guy like me could ever wish for. So remember, until we come back, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know. I hope it is for all of us, forever. So until my return, remember, Homer is Homer, Pluto is a planet, and what do you ask every bad bartender in the world? Nominum quid geminus? That's Latin for, you call that a double? Still works beautifully. I'll be seeing you soon, and the colonel and the doctor send you their fondest hellos. Bye. This week on Allison Rosen is your new best friend, Greg Proops. Just real fast. Go on. No kids. No, none that I know of. But women, you know, sneaky. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> no, we never wanted kids, and uh, and we're happy. I, lo- you know, I have a good relationship. I've been with my wife a long time, and. We're that bummer couple that's happy. Are you suggesting that people have kids when they need to spice up their relationship? I suggest that kids have, uh, people have kids for a dazzling variety of poor reasons. That's <laughs> one of them. Uh, every once in a while, someone has kids for the right reasons. What are the right reasons? Uh, because you want them and you want to be involved in their life intimately, and then you want to teach them a sense of independence and let them go. Not because you want to browbeat them I've into never, submission. That, that whole thing you just, wait, see yeah. that? I'm going to have to listen back to that, because that is so <laughs> right. And yet it's so rare that you actually see it go just like that. Subscribe to Allison Rosen as your new best friend on iTunes. Or go to AllisonRosen.com. Only from Corolla Digital. Allison's your new best friend. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves spitting. Hi, folks. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. Welcome to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And, well, they always sound good. Please give them a nice hand. As always, that's the Jim McMonagle Orchestra and the Denise Tutwiler Dancers featuring boy tenor Rob Summers asking the musical question... Why do we never hear about gruntled workers? I think that's a pretty good joke, by the way. We all thought so, too. And so that's why it's in there. And that's Rob's joke. And I have something to tell you about that. But first, as always, and by Amazon. That's right, Amazon.com. Now, Jeff sat me down for 20 minutes before the show and said to me, Now, there's something happening with Amazon this week. The website is broken because... There's a lot of changes going on here at Ace Broadcasting, 
in how things are put out there on the air. Boy, that's as technical as I can get, by the way. And Jeff sat me down for 20 minutes to explain, yes, still talk about Amazon and still do the ad, but explain to people that if they go on the website, it's not there. And he talked to me. This is one of those things. I had a friend from school who was in the bond business, and he sat, He must have sat me down six times over the years, and I would ask him, and he would explain what a hedge fund is to me, he, and he would explain it, and I'd nod, and we'd both have a drink, and I'd, and I'd nod, and uh, then afterwards he'd say, okay, do you have it? And I'd say, no, I don't. I, I really don't understand anything you said. I have no idea. So that's kind of what just happened with Jeff. He took me through the steps on this and explained what is not there and what is happening so that when you go on to acelarrymiller.com, there is the flag. It does say Amazon, but... Apparently, everything is broken. He just kept saying, well, it's broken. And uh, I said, is that the technical term for it? It's broken? That's what I would say. I would say something's broken. And he said, well, it's just, it's broken. And so it's apparently broken, and I'm telling you it's broken. So it may be up by airtime again. It may not be. But still, another three days later, if you feel like buying anything on Amazon, this is as close as I can get to it. If you feel like buying anything on Amazon, and as we're fond of saying here, you can get anything in the world on Amazon, except, of course, an actual Amazon. But if you feel like that, go to our website, www.acelarrymiller.com, hit the banner that says Amazon, and you can go right to Amazon and buy things, or maybe just not now. I still have no idea what it is. Maybe it will take you to a hedge fund. I really don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know what Jeff said. I really don't understand anything. But I know that in a day or eight days, it'll all be better and not broken anymore, which, which, is, uh, which is good news for everyone. There's actually more good news. And the reason kind of it did get broken is because there's a free Adam Corolla app now. And we're part of it at This Week with Larry Miller. And it's it's frankly very flattering because, I, I, look, I love it here. And uh, Jeff and Chris are not only this is our show, but uh, they work for Ace Broadcasting, which is Adam's network. And it was very flattering that they said, yes, let's put uh, Larry's show and this show, This Week with Larry Miller, on the app. And so we're part of it. It's pretty neat. It's available for iPhone, iPad, and Android. And... You can listen to This Week with Larry Miller, plus all the Ace Broadcasting shows, which is exactly correct, but it's we're back to now. I have no idea what I said. I wrote that down word for word. So once again, we're back to me being like the band ABBA, where they just sang in English but really had no idea what they were saying. It was all phonetic. So it's really kind of neat, though. There's so many things we're doing over here, and... Uh, on our show as well, and we're just glad they asked us and put us on their app. So uh, so that's pretty neat. And whether something's broken or not. Speaking of broken things, by the way, this is a perfect way to segue into, that's right, a hamper update. And the news of the hamper update this week is Chapter 56, We Stage Nothing. I got back, and I have a story to tell you today. I'm filming an episode uh, of a, 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 a... The phrase is technical. I still can't say things like this. I'm guest starring on 
NCIS, which is a big hit series, and it's very good, and everybody over there is really nice. It, that's another phrase I can't, it just doesn't feel right to use, though. Guest starring is a phrase that feels like, you know, something. If you were on Bonanza in 1965, then, it's, you know, guest star, and then, you know, the French tone. Oh, really? It's okay. You know, guest star, that was, those were guest stars. But anyway, I'm on the episode um, this week, and I got back from shooting something today, which was very nice because we could fit everything in. I got back for that, zipped home in time to take what I like to do, which is a little exercise walk, go up and down the block. You know, and uh, we live on a hill, so you could go down the hill and then up the hill. And when I got there in time, just had just enough time to shower. And I went into the bathroom there, took all the stuff off, of course, and went to put it in the hamper. And in another shocking display of disregard... For the hamper itself and the integrity of the netting and the Velcro that holds it to this world, someone, and I'm not saying it was my wife, because I love her and she loves me, but someone threw her jeans in the cruelest manner on to the open hamper, weighing down the netting once again. And this time, though, instead of taking a picture of it for our album and putting a caption down, I just gently folded her jeans and gently put them in the dark load side of the $59.99 hamper I got that was made in America. And so then I gently put my things in there as well. But I just said to Jeff for the hamper update, I didn't take a picture this time. And I just said to him, both before we started doing the show and before we started recording, I said, you know what, should I go? Should I go home and... uh, take a picture? I mean, it really happened. Should I put the jeans back up there? And he said to me, because, you know, it's important to us to be ethical here, not to go overboard. We're not out of our minds. But he said, "Ah, you know what? Just let it go. We don't stage anything. We don't need to do a hamper update this week. And I said to him, number one, good for you, because that's the right phrase for it. We don't stage anything here. We're fond of saying all stories, all stories guaranteed true, and all Callously thrown clothing on the hamper, guaranteed true. So you know what? Instead of staging it, I thought, let's make that the hamper update that you can just take my word for it, but we'll put in the album next week, the next time something is done, assuming, of course, the netting has still survived another week. And by the way, in terms of the album... We're having so much fun now because we're really integrating a lot of things on the show, putting photos. I'm taking more and more photos with my phone and then putting captions underneath it, and I write captions. And by the way, we're figuring out a way how you always know it'll be Jeff who says something and it'll always me. The captions are always mine, but we'll always know that we, we, we make albums out of this and we have themes that the show is about based on the pictures. So we're really tying these things in. And frankly, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's very meaningful. And the reason we started something for this week, and I did I did take a picture, but I don't know if we'll have it up in time. It's because I went I, I was changing light bulbs. I got some light bulbs. Remember I told you my wife told me which light bulb to get for the leg lamp and that she was very kind to do that because even she said, Oh here, this light bulb will fit your dopey lamp. And uh, But she was laughing. It was a very sweet thing to do. That was in the supermarket where my oldest son, or rather my most correctly my older son, because we have two, and I were stopped because we started looking at the pictures in the supermarket on the front of the boxes of the Clairol Easy Root 
touch-up pictures. Now, there's a product called Clairol Easy Root Touch-Up. And you know how a lot of women's products have, or all women's products, have pictures of they go from brown, blonde to black hair on all the hair boxes. And the thing is, we started, because my son is old enough, so that we've started looking, well, you know, we look at, uh, sometimes he just thinks a girl is pretty when uh, we would drive by on the street. And I think it's the, you know, it's all done in a very respectful way. He says, wow, she's pretty. And I always say, yeah, you know, you're, I agree. She's, she's pretty too. And then we always laugh about how no matter what we were talking about before, after you see someone who's pretty, suddenly you can't remember a thing. This is a common knowledge thing. All men know this. All women know this too. And uh, the thing I thought that was interesting about this was because on the Clairol, Easy root touch-up boxes. I said, "Wow, now she's pretty." And I pointed to someone I, I thought was pretty, and he said, "To be honest, I like her better." And I picked someone who was because of this stage in life. I picked someone who was kind of, you know, pretty and wholesome looking. And uh, I picked the uh, the Sandra Bullock kind of picture, and he picked the Tanya Harding Harding picture. He picked the one where it was like a, a little wow. You know, she's kind of, yeah, because he's, that's what, when you're 15, you want someone who who looks, you know, a little, uh, well, a little hotter. And uh, and I thought that, w- that was neat. And here's the reason why, though. We got to the point of where we, after we picked up that light bulb, and it, you know, it, it just made me, it, it re- real, I realized, because my wife had said something to him that day. Now, here's how you know, see if you can pick out which sentence was said by a parent to a child 5,000 years ago, and which sentence was said to a child by a parent five days ago? Here's your first choice. And the, the talk is, clock is ticking. Okay, here's the first sentence. Son, the Lord just told me to tie you down to this rock. Okay, that's your first choice. Son, the Lord just told me to tie you down to this rock. And remember, the question is, which sentence was uttered by a parent 5,000 years ago and which sentence was uttered by a parent five days ago? Here's the second choice. Don't punch him again or you don't get Battlefield 3. I mean it. So you have to figure out and send send in your answers to Post Office Box 552. No, you know where to send them in, to the website. That may or may not be broken. But it may, it made me laugh because... These are the these are the things that that we really cherish. These are the moments I always tell kids, you know what? You never know what you're really going to remember in life. You never know what's going to stay with you forever. And this it reminded me show business traditions stick with me. And it reminded me of that because of something called a spit bucket. Now, I, now that is a spit bucket. I don't know if you know about this in show business, but I took pictures of it today cuz today I was using a spit bucket. I've used a spit bucket a lot in show business, and you may not have seen them used, but you know a lot of scenes where they have been used. Every actor has a scene at least once in a movie or a TV show. Did I just say movie? In in a movie or a TV show where you have to eat, and there's a real trick to it. And every actor wants eating through the whole scene and really swallowing the food is something every actor does once. It's it's a mistake you only make once. Eating through the scene is like getting skunked. It's one of those things. You know how once you've get, gotten skunked, it's an experience where once it happens, you won't need to do it again. And it's the same with eating on a set. Once you eat on a set, I ate once in a movie called The Favor, 
which is a good movie, by the way, Bill, Pull- Bill Pullman and Elizabeth McGovern and Holly Jane Kozak. And in fact, I think it was Brad Pitt's first picture. But at any rate, there was one scene was sitting around the table. They invite me over to dinner. I'm his colleague at the university. They invite me over to dinner and they had spaghetti and meatballs. And I decided this guy had bad manners or just chewed or talked with his mouth full or something. It's one of those things you're just picking. You're looking for something to do. But I was actually eating the food. Now, it takes a while to shoot certain scenes. I, I know you know this. And first you have this side, then they shoot her, then they shoot that. And tables, actually, are notorious for taking a long time. Conference rooms, meeting of the, of the board, board of directors. It takes a while to shoot around a table to get every angle. And I was actually eating the food. And I ate so much spaghetti, I was really sick. You only have to do that once. And if you really see... It was terrible. By the way, you know what they had for lunch that day? No kidding. Spaghetti. And I had and I had eaten two and a half hours of spaghetti and was eating it. It was horrible. Every actor has a story like that. Now, that's a stupid actor, and I didn't do that again. You don't know, want to know what a smart actor is? If you notice, think back to the series The Sopranos, which is a great series in every way. I just think it's a fabulous series. I'm sorry they stopped it. But it's a great series, period. If you think back to them... When Tony and the guys or Tony and his wife and their friends were at that restaurant eating, they always ate at the same Italian restaurant or wherever they were eating. If you think back to those scenes, there was a lot of forks clicking on plates and there were a lot of forks turning with the pasta. And there were a lot of obviously they're acting and they're saying the words in between and they're looking like they're chewing. But if you think back, there was not a lot of actual food going in the mouth. It was mostly forks clicking on plates. This is smart acting, but it didn't involve a spit bucket. Today, and you can look up the picture on our website today, I took a picture of, I always say, when I know something is coming up like this, I ask one of the folks from the props department, can you get me a spit bucket? And of course they know what it is. And today, in this scene in NCIS, and I'll let you know when it's on the air, by the way, so you can know, so you can say, hey, how do you like that? I know what happened with that scene. It's me eating cookies. It's about me eating the cookies that were baked for these guys, for these agents, and it's a, it's a long scene, and I'm eating the cookies through the scene. And it's about how, hey, that's rude of me, number one. These cookies were baked for them. It's a good scene in the drama of the show, I think, and it's a good scene because it has, well, comic relief in it. It has me. That's part of why I got hired. Can you, what, what can you do with this? What can you make out of this? And so I I knew it would be funny to eat a certain way, and I knew it would be funny to look like you were eating a certain way, and it looks in this scene like I'm eating a ton of food, but I'm eating nothing because after every take, you can eat and you can say something, but after everything, there's a bucket right there, and you just spit into it and then wash your mouth out, but really spit, it's grotesque, and then wash your, but no one cares because it's you're on a set and this is how you do it. This comes under that show business thing that I love. And I, th- I think people love to, I think everyone loves the whole thing of how do you do things in show business? How, how do things get done? I love that no matter how high tech things get with graphics, there's still a lot of low tech in show business. I love the low tech of it. I, lo- I love that for dolly shots, I may have mentioned this before, that it's still a giant thick rope tied on to the camera dolly and one or two really big guys pull it slowly. It's a rope on a dolly, and the dolly is on wheels, and one guy pulls it back slowly on a, on a track. I love that low-tech aspect of it. And let's be honest, you can't get more low-tech than a spit bucket. So you'll know 
that when this thing comes out and you can go onto the website and see what the spit the spit bucket is, it looks like, by the way, a, 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 from the angle I took this picture, it's just a phone camera, but it it looks like a baby possum somehow in the bottom of a of a big bucket, and and it's, it's kind of gross, but. It's fun in that way of how do things get done in show business because a lot of traditions in show business aren't kept up. And I love I love show business traditions. I put some shots of the makeup trailer in on this album this week because I always yell stepping up when I get into the makeup trailer. And I it's just something I was taught to do as a young actor because when you come into a makeup trailer, you know, they're on, they're on wheels, or sometimes if you're on a location, they're put up on blocks, and people are putting makeup on people's eyes. There's one, two, three, sometimes more makeup artists, and they're putting makeup on people. So when you, you knock on the door, you open it up, and as you take your first step onto the steps, you yell, stepping up, because that tells everyone in the trailer, and someone else will yell out, stepping, so that it tells everyone who may be ready to poke someone's eye out, that, oh, someone's stepping up. And then when you leave the trailer, after you've gotten your stuff on, I always then say, stepping down as you walk out the door. Because the same thing. There may be a row of five seats with people in them, and someone's putting false eyelashes on someone, and, you know, you're working around someone's eyes. It's just a question of manners. But you know what? It's one of those things today that people just don't do anymore. And I've just noticed it. People don't do it anymore. And I've had... Many times people say to me, makeup artists, whether it's on a location somewhere, just say, well, I like that you still say stepping up because it's polite. And I, and I don't understand. Sometimes I've, said, I've worked with people and I've just said, you know, you really ought to say stepping up. Have you ever heard that when you come in and they look back and you can imagine the look you get with, no, I've never heard this before. I have no idea what you're talking about. But you know what? It's one of those traditions in show business that, that's gotten lost. Like don't whistle in a dressing room. I don't know if you've ever heard that one, but you're not supposed to, in theater especially, you're not supposed to whistle in a dressing room. A lot of times in theater, you have two, four, six, ten people. It depends. The first play I was in was Billy Budd. It was 28 men, and it was uh, one uh, one big dressing room. No, it was two dressing rooms, but it's a lot of men. It's about a, it's about a ship in the Royal Navy, and uh, it's a beautiful play, by the way. And at any rate, you uh, you have a lot of men in an area there, there, and you, you, everyone's putting on makeup because in the theater you put your own makeup on. That's another tradition. And here's the thing, though. You're not supposed to whistle in a dressing room. I didn't know that. I walked in on this. This was the first play I was in. And it was here in Los Angeles. It was a good play, too, by the way. It was a good production. Gregory Harrison and Andrew Stevens and, and the great Joseph Mahar, who became a friend a wonderful actor who's passed away since. And it's a great play, a beautiful play. And I walked into the dressing room once. I was always early. And Russ Marin, another great actor. I haven't seen him in a long time. And uh, he was sitting there, and he was putting on his stuff. And I walked in whistling, and he turned around and screamed at me, Get out! Get out! Get out! And I said, I, I, what? And he said, get out, quick, get out of the dressing room. And I, I got out and he said, stand there, now come back in the door, stand in the doorway. And I st- stood in the doorway, he was terrifying me, and he said, turn around three times. And I turned around three times, and then he said, now, curse, just curse every word that comes into your head, just curse, loud, scream, curse, whatever words. And I just said every curse word I could say. And then after about 10 seconds, then he said, okay, now stop. Now ask permission again to re-enter. And I said, may I please re-enter the dressing room? And he said, 
Yes, I'd never whistle again in a dressing room. Some of you may know why. It's just a tradition. It doesn't even, there's an actual reason why it started out. But it's just neat to me that that's a tradition that no one does anymore. But I do it. And the reason it started out, by the way, it's from Elizabethan times. It's from Shakespeare's time. And the, the reason is that in those days, in the 16th and then in the 17th centuries, most of the stagehands who worked in theaters, as theaters really began to grow, most of the stagehands were veterans of the Royal Navy and were very frequently, they'd had a leg blown off or something like that or part of the, you know, the ear or the face. We can, obviously, you and I can't imagine what the injuries are in that kind of time. But they would be climbing up and down on these ropes because being veterans of the Navy, they were great with ropes and they would know which sandbags to pull down and they could really be agile climbing up and down all around theaters. And the reason how they would signal each other when they had to do something, how would old seamen from the Royal Navy signal each other when a sandbag had to be dropped or when a certain part of a curtain had to be dropped or what was their signal? Obviously, they didn't have radios. They didn't have flags. They didn't have any way to do it. How would you know as part of the play to drop one scene in front of the other, to raise another scene, a backdrop, one of the legs on the curtains? How would you know how to do that? What did they use to signal each other? And the answer is they whistled. And so they would whistle to each other those long Navy whistles, but without the actual whistle, they could do it with their mouths that, and that's how they would show each other, oh, that's right, you have to drop this now. So the point is, it developed in the theater. Sometimes if an actor strolled in whistling, well, he would catch a sandbag on the head from 900 feet, and it would just fall down and either kill someone. So it developed, there was an actual reason for never whistling in a dressing room. But I think that's kind of neat. It just was passed down long after when people would actually signal each other with whistles. But I like that. That's a 500-year thing that still exists because it lives with me, because I do it. And I can pass that on. It sounds idiotic. You don't pass it on. You don't sit someone down and say, here's this thing. But that's how I learned it in my first play. And that's why, by the way, there's another thing. If you don't put your shoes on a chair, you never put your shoes on a chair in a dressing room. I will never put my shoes on a chair in a dressing room. And this one, I don't know why, by the way. I don't, I don't know the origin of this one. But I just know, never put your shoes on a chair in a dressing room. Why? Because you don't. I don't know why. Because somehow you got to go out of the room and scream again. No, I, you just don't. And today it happened again. I'm in my trailer and I had my arms full and I had the breakfast that I was going to put down and I was going to take the script and learn the stuff for the day. And I took the shoes, my shoes off, and I took the shoes that I was wearing for this suit for the wardrobe that day. And I, put, I was looking for a place to put them down and the chair was in a perfect position to put them down and I had the breakfast in one hand and I reached out toward the chair but I didn't. I'm alone in my own trailer but it made me smile because I didn't want to do that. It's the same thing to me as throwing salt over your shoulder if you spill the salt. Am I afraid? No. 
Am I paranoid? Am I petrified that something bad is going to happen if I don't throw it over my shoulder? No. But you know what? It reminds me of my parents because my parents always did that. And so I always do that. I pour some salt in my hand and throw it over my shoulder. And I don't think there's anything superstitious or wrong about that. I don't think there's anything idiotic about it. Don't do that. To me, the, pe- the people, the same people who scream, just don't do that, are the same people who will tell a one-year-old there's no Santa Claus. You know, you want to say, give the kid four years. You're not lying. No, you never lie to children. Oh, shut up. You know what? It's just, it's just magical. It's imagination. Let the, let, the, let the kid know. And by the way, and I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you one more, and then we're going to take a picture of this, and he doesn't know it's going to be him later yet. But this is, you, may, you all know the thing of break a leg. You've all heard break a leg. And everyone thinks, and I used to think it meant you never tell someone to have a great show. You always say the opposite, that you don't want to jinx someone by saying, have a great show. So instead you say, do the worst thing that could ever happen before you go out on that stage, which is what? Break a leg. And break your leg. But that's not what it was. It also comes from Elizabethan times, which breaking a leg, if you think about it, think hard now. You can see this picture. When people took a bow in Elizabethan times, they didn't bow from the waist. They didn't wave and bow from the waist. Think about it. They would extend one leg and hold it out very straight and put the other leg behind them with the knee bent or broken. When the, when the knee was bent, it was called breaking the leg. So what they were saying was, I know you can see that pose in your minds now of one leg extended and both hands held out front sort of, and then you bow down with the leg behind you bent at the knee. And that pose was called breaking a leg. So when you told someone in those days, break a leg, what you were saying was, do so well, you'll be called out for a bow. And I always thought, and I didn't even know that till four or so years ago. And I think that's pretty great to really find out something you didn't know before. And the reason I'm bringing this up also is because there's there's a movie out now called uh, Anonymous. It's about Shakespeare. It's made by great people. They're top pros. There's been a thing, as you know, for roughly 150 years of Shakespeare didn't write anything. It wasn't Shakespeare. There was no Shakespeare. Shakespeare was just some guy. And it's a tone level we hit. People actually research these things, and they get really overwrought about it. They couldn't be a Shakespeare. There was no Shakespeare. Shakespeare's not Shakespeare. And they, in this movie, they, they say one of the big rumors is that, uh, no, it was the Earl of Oxford, because it was the Earl of Oxford. Now, what they don't address, to me anyway, is, so in other words, you're still saying one guy wrote the stuff. You're just say, not saying it's the guy we all think wrote the stuff. So they're not saying a human being didn't write it. They're not saying a team of a thousand people wrote it. Well, they say, Sir Francis Bacon wrote it. It wasn't Shakespeare. Shakespeare couldn't do it. And so in other words, I still say, in other words, so it was still a guy named Bacon. He wrote it. And what people say is that, well, look, Shakespeare only had a fourth grade education. Shakespeare couldn't have all written all this poetry. He couldn't have known all these military tactics. He couldn't have spoken six languages and used it in all the plays and all the poems. He just couldn't have been that brilliant. First of all, let me tell you something. My grandmother, my mother's mother, never went to school and was born in Lithuania and went to work in a box factory when she was seven, which is how things happened in those days. And she went to work in that factory so that they saved the money so that the oldest brother could go to school. 
Right or wrong, as you well know, that's how it was done. She never went to school. She worked in the box factory, and it was well known in our family. She sang opera in five languages and knew how to speak seven languages. Now, how did she learn that? No, she couldn't have done it. It was the Earl of Oxford who worked in the box factory. So you know what? It's just stupid. To me, and I'm bringing this up for a reason, to me, there's a certain kind of person, and I know they made this movie, and these are top these are top movie makers, and there's a certain kind of person who needs to tear certain individuals down. They just can't take it. There's part of them that's empty inside, and they just can't accept that someone did something great. They can't take it. There's something they just can't take about it. This same argument has occurred for years about Homer, the great poet Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. And he was called the first storyteller in a way because he wrote so magnificently and he made these stories that obviously we're still telling today about Troy and about the journey of Ulysses. And it's, these are magnificent stories. And they were written, of course, by Homer, except the same thing was said about him for the last couple of hundred years. No, Homer wasn't even Homer. There was no Homer. It was, it was 20 guys. It was six guys. It was, it was the Earl of Oxford's grandfather. It was just anybody. But that Homer wasn't Homer. And I'm bringing this up for a reason, because we've toyed before about what to have as a sign and countersign for the Larry Miller Drinking Society. And it's meeting, by the way, next week again. I'm going to be in Richardson, Texas. I'm going to be at the Eisenman Center. And I'm going to be there from Wednesday through Saturday with, with my show Cocktails with Larry Miller. And because I'm there four days, by the way, and two shows on that last Saturday, everywhere I've gone for the last few weeks, I always call, well, a meeting for the Larry Miller Drinking Society. And then I posted on Twitter on the day of the meeting. It's going to be on that Saturday, the final day I'm there, and I always pick a bar in the area, either at the hotel or somewhere in the area, a quiet place, and whoever gets the tweet will know, oh, we'll go there, the Larry Miller Drinking Society, and that's fine. And uh, people bring their cards, or I give out cards, and then we punch them. It's just fun to see who's out there and who gets the message and who comes, who comes to the show cocktails, and then who comes afterwards. Hey, and I always, at at 10.30, we'll meet at the so-and-so place, and they always come back there. So what I'm getting at is this. When we've been looking for a countersign, a sign countersign. It's it's not mysterious. It's not like a secret handshake. It's just something as much fun to say as to have the Larry Miller Drinking Society cards. And it reflects what I think we all think, the kind of attitudes we all have about what I've just been talking about. Because there's one thing I think we all have in common. No one out there, none of you guys, is empty and needs to tear someone down. And so... When we have – people have told me they get free drinks with the, at a bar with the Larry Miller Drinking Society card because the bartender will say, oh, and then he'll show his card. And so here's the sign countersign. If you meet someone from the Larry Miller Drinking Society – and we'll do this, by the way, when we meet for the LMDS, when we meet in Richardson. If you do, when you meet someone, if someone holds out his hand, one of you will say first, Homer is Homer. Okay? And then the countersign – will be, as you shake hands, the countersign will be, and Pluto is a planet. Okay? Because that's another one of these big ones to me of just, oh, just shut up already. Everyone has said, no, Pluto's not a planet. It's not even a planet. It's the same thing, folks. It's the same type of person. No, there's a big asteroid belt out there. There are many large asteroids, and Pluto's not a planet. It's the same kind of person who just can't let things like this exist. And that's going to be our sign countersign. You know what? Homer is Homer. 
and Pluto is a planet. And we'll figure out a way to do it. Uh, we'll start in Richardson. I don't know who says what first or whether we say all say it in unison then again. And Pluto is a planet. It sounds like something 10 people should say at the same time. And so you know what? In, in our society, in the, uh, in the Larry Miller Drinking Society and in the show of people who like our show here, This Week with Larry Miller, you know what? Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. And we don't need to say, and there was no Shakespeare, all right? Now, we're going to just move on for a second now because people knew, well, Dr. Laksamana was missing last week. And they wrote in that, where was Chris? Because uh, we said he just wasn't here. And, and by the way, someone did write in and say, why is he a doctor? Well, apparently you missed that episode. He is a doctor of humane letters from Larry Miller State University, which is, of course, an honorary award. And it goes along with... What our producer got as an honorary award, who is now officially Colonel Jeffrey A. Fox. This was given by the uh, the Larry Miller militia, and so he is a colonel in that. So people wrote in, "Where in the world is Doctor Loxamana? Post your ideas here. That was that's what Jeff put in. We'll put the best ones on next week's show site." And as Jeff wrote in, "No idea is too crackpot." Boy, if we ever needed another motto for the show, that would be perfect. That sounds like a Mad Magazine thing. No idea is too crackpot. So Bill Burns wrote in, Dr. Loxamana is at his secret island fortress in the Mediterranean plotting to foil Mr. Bond. Yeah, I just hope he's more creative in the uniforms. I hate when the bad guys always had to have the one uniform and then they get killed. You don't even know what... They, they didn't even have the name in script. It wasn't even Jim. You didn't even know. It was just some guy in a one-piece suit. Murray Flint wrote in, Chris is fighting with the French Foreign Legion in the Crimean War circa 1856. Pretty good pull. Pretty good one right there, by the way. And by the way, that was one of those wars that apparently the Lord Lord Cardigan was one of those guys who said, okay, everybody charge there, which was, and then everyone was killed. But you may have, as you could hear from that name, Lord Cardigan, they did, a lot of people were killed, but he gave his name to a sweater. Isn't that funny how things used to happen in those days? You get the guy who was on a horseback and say, well, look at this guy. He's warm, but it doesn't have to drop over the horse's sides. Well, that's because, oh, why don't we all wear that and call it a cardigan? So, yeah, the Crimean War is a good pull, good pull for Murray there. Therese Mitchell says, well, who, who's Chris? Poor Chris. I care where you are. Where are you? Well, you know what? Uh, you, should, you, should call, you should write back to her. <laughs> I think she likes you. Well, that isn't the classic guy thing. I think she likes you. Ramon Penuelas writes, I'll tell you where he's not, enjoying a healthy pour of drink. Well, we don't know that. And uh, Chris Klinker wrote, and the Chris Klinker dancers asking the musical question, where is Dr. Loxamana and what is he and what is he a doctor of? Well, that's what he is a doctor of. He's a doctor of humane letters. And by the way, for the record, Colonel Jeffrey and I said to Chris, okay, where, where were you? He didn't answer, and we didn't ask again. All we know is he's back now, and we're happy he is. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Thank you, Colonel Jeff. Thank you, one, everyone out there once again. Whatever's broken on whatever website it is will be fixed soon. And you can please go on our album there at the Larry Miller at the, at the website, www.acelarrymiller.com. And we're going to have lots of, well, we really enjoy doing that. I really enjoy putting funny comments up there. The show's website is, <laughs> Jeff just wrote in, maybe, 
hlarrymiller.com. My website is larrymillerhumor.com. Follow me on Twitter at Larry J. Miller. All stories are guaranteed true. Remember, Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. Cocktails with Larry Miller, November 16th through the 20th at the Eisman Center in Richardson, Texas. And on November 26th at the Rao Center in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Well, that's R-A-U-E in Crystal Lake, Illinois, in any case. Thank you for listening. We'll look forward to be back and coming back next week to get your official Larry Miller Drinking Society membership card so you can use the, count- the countersign. Send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Larry Miller Drinking Society, care of Ace Broadcasting, 10061 Riverside Drive, number 276, Toluca Lake, California, 91602, USA. And, folks, we love doing it. We're awfully glad you're there. Thanks. Tell a friend. And remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you when you got back, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's the truest thing I know. And I hope that explanation worked out for you last week on it. Be well. We'll see you next week only on Ace Broadcasting. Hey, by the way, where was Chris?